how do you tell a story with detail and nuance and scene and dialogue and what people were wearing and all the stuff that that brings a story to life visually how do you do that when you weren't there you weren't even born well the answer to that was my aunt shirley hi readers Welcome to Books Connect Us from Penguin Random House. This is a podcast about staying connected to the stories that inspire us. We're going behind the scenes with our favorite authors to give you the inside scoop on the story behind the story. Danny Shapiro is the author of 11 books and the host and creator of the hit podcast, Family Secrets. Her most recent novel, Signal Fires, was named a best book of 2022 by Time Magazine, Washington Post, Amazon, and others. Her most recent memoir, Inheritance, was an instant New York Times bestseller and named a best book of 2019 by Elle, Vanity Fair, Wired, and Real Simple. Both Signal Fires and Inheritance were winners of the National Jewish Book Award. Danny's work has been published in 14 languages and she's currently developing Signal Fire for its television adaptation. In today's episode, we get deep. I speak with Danny about the craft of writing, the blurry lines between memoir and fiction, and what it means to be a storyteller. Danny has spent a lot of time grappling with family secrets, both hers and those of her readers and podcast listeners. My conversation with her touches on how our identity is shaped by these secrets, who we are in relation to our family, both biological and found, and how all of that combusts wonderfully in the creation of art and writing. Hey, readers. I'm here with Danny Shapiro, author of Signal Fires, Inheritance, and many other books. Danny, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be with you. So let's jump right in. One of the reasons I wanted to bring you on the podcast today, well, there are two main reasons, but one of them was because I found it so powerful to have a relatable female Jewish voice penning contemporary fiction. As a Jewish woman myself, I sometimes feel confined in the book publishing industry by Holocaust novels, which I do love, and works by Israeli authors, which I also love, but there just seems to be so few modern female Jewish writers. Inheritance, of course, dives deep into your Jewish identity, and Signal Fires touches on Jewish culture as well. I loved the Arab Armageddon line, um, the character going to Trader Joe's. That made me laugh in Signal Fires. But how do you go about incorporating your Jewish identity into these stories in a realistic way, specifically in your fiction? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question, and it's one I've been thinking about um, very recently because Signal Fires just won the National Jewish Book Award for fiction. Yeah, congratulations. Um, thank you. And I was honored and pleased, um, also a little bit surprised, mm -hmm. because it's not on its surface a deeply Jewish book. Um, and yet, when I was working on it, there was no question in my mind that you know, the landscape, the neighborhood, the characters were mostly Jewish people. And at a certain point, it actually felt a little subversive to me to simply allow Jewishness to be mm -hmm. in a story and not to um, make the story necessarily overtly about that. So there are lots of References, like you mentioned, one character calling going to Trader Joe's on New Year's Eve of 1999. 
um, Y2K, New Year's Eve. You know, it was like era of Armageddon in there. Um, and there are other moments where, you know, there's memories that the characters are having of being kids and going to each other's bar mitzvahs. And that's the bush where Noah Kantrowitz threw up after his bar mitzvah. And, <laughs> yep. you know, there's this kind of inf infusion of, you know, these are Jewish families. But it it's funny because I got a comment from a reader right after Signal Fires came out. Somebody wrote to me and said, and it was a, a Jewish reader and said, I feel like you aren't representing uh, Jews accurately because or 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 fairly because you have one of them eating um what's known in 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 the Jewish world as treif, you know, non non-kosher food. You're or, or even more than that, Theo is making himself a um like salami and cheese on rye sandwich. And, you know, so I have people eating non-kosher things. Well, that's because they do. Mm -hmm. And so that was in a way um writing about an assimilated world that is um, you know, culturally and, um, you know, sort of in its, in its bones, a, you know, a Jewish world, but is, um, a world just in which people are, are living without that, without their religion or even their ethnicity being the very first thing that they're thinking about, um, when they wake up in the morning. Yeah. I, I personally loved that it was a subtle infusion and maybe that's just because, I can identify with that piece of Judaism. I didn't grow up especially religious, but I went to day school and Judaism's always been a really important part of my life and myself. Um, and I feel like what is cool about that for me is I don't see that a lot represented in contemporary fiction. And we talk a lot about on this podcast and Carolina and I talk a lot about identity and representation and how that matters in all of the art that we consume. Obviously, inheritance was a deeper dive of that, um, and I know you go you go into that a lot more with your own uh, family discoveries. And I know that I'm sure that's what inspired your podcast, which is actually the other reason why I wanted to bring you on um, is to talk about it, how it grew, how it became this thing, why you think it's so riveting to so many fans of your work and others. Yeah, I mean, I, the podcast Family Secrets very much came out of the discovery that I made um, about secrets in my family and the writing of Inheritance, which was a deep dive exploration into how those secrets were held, how they came to be, and really the the realization um, that I stumbled onto, which was that I was the secret, that I was the family secret. And and that my father had not been my biological father. And my parents, I think, um, were aware of that. Mm -hmm. um, I can't ask them because they were gone. Um, but that I spent my whole life um, and and talk about identity. You know, I, our, our identities are formed by the stories that were told from the time that we are um, conscious in any way, from the time that we're sentient beings. And the stories that I was told were simply not true. Mm. And so it's no wonder, I think, that I grew up, I mean, thank goodness I grew up to become a writer because <laughs> it meant that I had, I can't imagine what else I I, I could have done um, with my life. And I, I feel enormously grateful for that because it allowed me through storytelling to, in a way, be grappling with things that I didn't even know that I was grappling with, that I didn't even know that I needed to grapple with. And so book after book, whether it was fiction or memoir, it was like 
a path of breadcrumbs through the forest. I was always, I was always writing about secrets. I was always writing about family secrets. I just wasn't writing about my family secret because I didn't know what it was. And so one day I was on the phone with a dear friend of mine who's in her 80s, who's an incredible storyteller. And she had just read the manuscript for Inheritance as one of my early readers. And she launched into this story of a family secret of hers. And it was so riveting and so beautifully told and so moving. And the thought that went through my my head was, I wonder if there's a podcast about family secrets. And I had never until that very moment ever entertained the idea of creating a podcast. Um, I listened to some of them, but I wasn't a podcast aficionado at all. Um, but I I made a coffee date with um these women at 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 Penguin Random House and we we met we met for coffee. This was in 2019. And I started talking about this idea for a podcast called Family Secrets. And the excitement just became palpable very quickly. And one thing just led to another. And they introduced me to a partner who um, was one of the podcast producing companies. And we all just kept on talking it through and talking it through. And then finally we thought, you know, let's give this a try. And my friend who in her 80s, who I had had that conversation with, she was actually coming to visit me. She lives in um, Marin County on the West Coast and she was coming to visit. And I asked her to be my first guinea pig and they sent a sound engineer and we went down to my basement with the sound engineer and she told me her story. And that was really the moment that I think everybody understood that we really had something special because I'm not approaching my guests' stories as a journalist. I really work to create a narrative container for the story of my guest. And for me, creatively, that's one of the great pleasures in 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 doing this podcast. And you know that, and also, I'm putting myself completely in the service of someone else's story. And that has the wonderful effect of having me not think about myself and not think about my own stories and not think about my own responses, but be in service to a story that is not my own. Yeah, I love that. And I feel so connected to that idea of, first of all, being the storyteller and being the kind of person that people are drawn to. Um, I think there's something about the creative spirit and the introspection of what being a writer is that just draws people in. And then the other piece of it of, you know, creating a narrative that can be shared. Um, it's something I I also write. Uh, one of the reasons Carolina and I are doing this is we're both writers. She's getting her MFA and uh, writing a memoir and I'm writing a novel. And a lot of the themes in my novel are, you know, this idea of storytelling and sharing something that will live beyond, you know, your 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 life. Um, and, you know, I love that you create a narrative that people can digest because I think one of the challenges with especially older people is, you know, they have these stories, some of them they've held on to for so many years and they finally feel that they're ready to share it, but they don't know how or they don't feel that they have the ability to, you know, give context or they're afraid what people will think. And I think it's it's very 
impressive that you are able to be this resource and this light for people. It's funny. So, so one of my questions is actually something that you had briefly mentioned. Um, it was about the storytelling traditions in your family. Um, and I specifically highlighting, of course, Aunt Shirley, who for the listeners who don't know, is a big part of Danny's memoir, Inheritance. Um, and I want to read the caption to one of your Instagram posts. It's a photo of you and your Aunt Shirley. And I'm going to read the caption. It's, this is my Aunt Shirley. Readers of mine will recognize her as my dearest relative and my muse. Whenever anyone tells me that they cried while reading Inheritance, it's always the scene in which I visit Shirley in Chicago to ask what she knew about this secret that was kept from me. I visited Shirley today on my way from Chicago to Milwaukee on book tour. Oh, it did my heart good. She is 99 years old and contains multitudes. May I have even a thimbleful of her wisdom and grace. Such a beautiful caption. And I'm curious how, you know, the storytelling traditions or lack thereof affected your writing and your path to an authorship and how Aunt Shirley influenced this. I love that question so much. And I actually love hearing... Um, what I posted, um, you, you're reading it back to me. It, it, it made me even a little teary. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I so, um, I'm so deeply connected to, to my aunt and, um, and I wasn't always. Um, so I grew up in an Orthodox Jewish home and my father was Orthodox and my mother was not, um, she was Jewish and, but she married, when she married my father, it was not their, it was not either of their first marriages. And when she married my father, she agreed to be Orthodox. And I don't think that that kind of religious, um, you know, Orthodoxy is something that you can simply agree to do um, unless you believe it, um, unless you can, you know, sort of get on board with it. And my mother was never, I mean, I think she probably tried pretty valiantly, but she was never able to get on board and and there was just a lot of struggle between my parents and conflict about how to raise me and my own Jewishness. And my father's younger sister, my aunt Shirley, is devout. Um, she is the matriarch of this, at this point, I mean, this enormous family. I think she has something like 70 great-grandchildren. Oh my and, goodness, wow. And a, a huge number of, you know, great-great-great-grandchildren. I mean, she is... When I think of her, I think of that scene in the Nutcracker where the where the where the skirt lifts up and all these children <laughs> yeah. come pouring out. Um, but because I was really kept away from her by my mother, who I think was very threatened by her. So I did not grow up um with Shirley being a big part of my life. And um I feel so incredibly thankful that we found our way to each other um in my young adulthood. And she is a storyteller. And when I say that she is my muse, in my in my 2010 memoir, Devotion, um, Shirley is a towering figure in that book. And that's a book that you would read and say, this is a very Jewish book, mm -hmm. um, because that's what that book needed to be. Um, and it was very much about a sort of spiritual midlife quest and ha my having a young kid, my son, who was asking me what I believed. And I realized, oh boy, I better, I better think about this. <laughs> Big question. I, I want, I want to be able to give him something he can chew on, um, or at least a mother who has considered this. So Shirley as a storyteller would tell these extraordinary stories about our family 
and about our family history. It was how I came to know what I came to know about our family history. And in fact, um, in my early 30s, I ended up writing a personal history piece for The New Yorker uh, called The Secret Wife, interestingly. Mm. Wow. Um, And it was about discovering another secret that my father had been married to a woman who died before he married my mother. And I knew nothing about this story. And the principles in it, my father and his late wife, were both gone. And I I needed to be able to write something that would pass muster with New Yorker fact checkers, (laughs) Um, which for anyone listening, um, just, you know, trust me on this, are the fact checkers of fact checkers. Um, And how do you tell a story with detail and nuance and scene and dialogue and what people were wearing and all the stuff that that brings a story to life visually? How do you do that when you weren't there? You weren't even born? Well, the answer to that was my Aunt Shirley, because she remembered exactly what Dorothy was wearing. Um, She remembered the flush in Dorothy's cheek. She remembered the crack in the china cup. Um, She she remembered things that were said um, that could then be corroborated by a couple of other people with amazing memories. So there was just this sense of this deep tether to the past, to history. and, And she is a model for me of paying attention and truly witnessing life. She once said to me, um, my life is like a museum. And she was talking about memory. She was talking about the way that, you know, in her 90s, she can wander from room to room and, you know, sort of enjoy, or maybe sometimes not enjoy, but have all of these memories of this long life. That's really incredible, too. And it's funny when you're t- when you said that quote about my life is like a museum, it it's kind of the way Signal Fires is written, sort of in this like fragmented, you know, pieces of rooms of memories. Um, the book, for those who haven't read it, kind of jumps between different time periods and you're sort of strung along in a way that makes you feel like these are your own memories that you're kind of like, oh, wait, I forgot that happened. And where am I exactly? And the protagonist, Mimi, is has Alzheimer's and is struggling with memory. And I, I love that that came through in your fiction. Um, and it's so interesting because you, you mentioned devotion. You've been writing for many years. And I'm curious about the intersection of storytelling and memory um, and how that's played into all of your writing throughout the years and how that's changed from your first book to your last or your most recent, I should say. And despite it being memoir or fiction, does it matter? I mean, it's a great question. In 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 memoir, the impulse is like inclining the creative process and um, the self, myself, in the direction of memory. Mm-hmm. And in fiction, it's inclining that self in the direction of imagination. But the really um the, the the truth of the matter is if we 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 can't really disentangle imagination from memory or memory from imagination. Our memory is filled with what we imagine because I mean neurobiologists will tell us that 
memories change every time we have them. So there's no, there's no such thing as a concrete, factual, accurate memory. Hmm. It's a kind of a hall of, uh, it's a hall of mirrors memory. And, and imagination always contains memory in it because everything we think contains memory in it. You know, what we, what we witness and what we observe and the way that we live our lives is being supported and, and, and bolstered by um, what we remember. When, when I teach, I often talk to my students about point of view and, you know, and, and what, and what that means. And, you know, when, when we look at, oh, let's just use a really prosaic example. Let's say we look at a sunset. Um, if we've just had a really crap day and we're looking at that sunset, we are experiencing it, seeing it in one way, noticing, maybe we notice, I don't know, the telephone wire, you know, with the birds sitting on it and we, and we, and we don't even see the fiery sky behind it. I'm just completely making this up, no, but, you yeah. know, and, and if we've had a really magnificent day, a special day, a day in which, I don't know, some kind of wonderful thing happened, then we're looking at the sunset and it's like a heartlifting experience. And we, and we notice different things about it. We notice maybe the vibrancy of the colors or we notice something about, um, you know, the, 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 the clouds that are, you know, bisecting it. And this is why when we're writing, whether it's fiction or memoir, it's, it's almost never necessary or a good idea to describe a feeling. It's really, we're describing what we're noticing or what a character is noticing. And in describing what we're noticing or sometimes describing, you know, what, 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 what we feel in our body or what a character feels in their body. That is how we come to know what that character is actually feeling as opposed to the character saying, I'm sad. In Signal Fires, your characters, you paint such intimate portraits. I feel like I know them. And I'm curious how you stay vulnerable while writing because I think it writing requires that kind of vulnerability versus, you know, how you stay vulnerable versus protecting yourself. How do you find that balance between the two when you're writing? It really has to do, for me, it's different with fiction and memoir. Right. I mean, it's it's sort of fundamentally different. Um, I'll speak to memoir first, which is that in memoir, the fashioning of a story out of the raw chaos of a life um, is actually kind of a consummate creative act of control. So ultimately, the memoirist is picking and choosing exactly what to reveal. Mm-hmm. So it it's it's not um it's not about not being vulnerable. Um it it's it's a it's it's a very vulnerable making process. It isn't about self-protection. Mm. I mean the vulnerability for me is welcome in that in 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 that kind of storytelling because that's where that's where the discovery is, that's where that's where the magic happens. Um, any any writer who sets out to write a memoir, but is being guided by a kind of self protectiveness, or being worried about what people are going to think, or being worried about what their family is going to think, um, 
is probably not ready to write the memoir. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I always, again, say to students is this book will not jump from your desk onto the shelves of your local bookstore. I promise. <laughs> Wouldn't so, that be nice? <laughs> right, well, ac- but actually what's what's great about the fact that it won't is that you can allow yourself the process of discovery of seeing what there is in there. Um, because when you're writing memoir, you're not simply sitting down and writing what happened. That would be boring to you, to the writer. It would be boring. I mean, it is an act of discovery. And and so there's there's the need to allow that discovery to unfold. Um, when it comes to fiction, I felt so deeply for all of these characters in Signal Fires. I love them all. Um, even the ones who are, you know, well, there's one in particular who I think is a little difficult to love. <laughs> Some people have found him a little difficult to love. Yeah. I loved him, but his name is Shankman. Um, and and the way that I would feel when I was writing some moments of Shankman, you know, doing something that he shouldn't be doing or acting in a way that he shouldn't be acting is I, as the author slash narrator, had this feeling of, oh, Shankman, oh, you just can't get out of your own way. I wish you could get out of your way. But I didn't feel like I was pulling the strings. It really felt that he had a life of his own and that my job was to have compassion for him while allowing him to um, live out the life that was his destiny. So that's a different kind of vulnerability. And I felt that way about all of my characters. And in a way, in all of my novels, those characters continue to be alive for me long after I finished the book you know, long, the Solomon Grossman, who I mentioned from my third novel, he lived, his character lived in a brownstone on Riverside Drive in the 90s. Um, every time I drive down Riverside Drive, I I don't think I'm driving down Riverside Drive. I think, oh, there's Solomon's house. Oh, I love that. that you know, that's just what it is, I think, that that degree of imagining that brings you into the writing of a fiction when you're really inside of it. Yeah, I love how how much love you have for your characters because I do think there's a point where they just leap off the page and just exist on their own. Um, I don't have children myself, but I imagine it's sort of like watching your children grow up as your characters develop or as you're going through subsequent drafts and and you find your footing and they become so real. Um, That's very relatable and and something I think that um, all writers kind of have to struggle with at some point or another um, is watching your characters become real beings and, you know, respecting that enough to kind of allow that that to happen. Um, I want to pivot a little bit to talk about the publishing process, um, something I know a lot of our listeners are interested in. Of course, we are a Penguin Random House affiliated podcast. In regards to identity and narrative voice, and you've been doing this for a while now, but I'd be curious if and and how it may be changed from your first book to your most recent, did you did you face any hurdles in the publishing process in terms of putting your identity forward when you when you write and and you're putting yourself onto the page? Uh, 
you know, that is a piece of you. And did you feel that there were any hurdles that you had to battle against, whether they were internal or external? That's no, it's a wonderful question. And it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately because again, having made this massive discovery about my own sort of core identity and this feeling that I had always had of the pieces not fitting together, of otherness, um, of, you know, just things not quite adding up, of being mistaken um, as, as, as other than, you know, who, who I am. Um, I think that writing for me from the beginning um, was with each, each book was an attempt to get at that in some way. And when I look back now, you know, we all, you know, when we, when we have a big moment, a big revealing moment, it's very tempting to look back and in, in retrospect and um, like rewrite the narrative. Mm -hmm. um, but because I have a shelf full of books, I can look at in the pages of my books from my very first novel that was published in 1990 all the way through my body of work and see that I was grappling with this. I was, I, I could look at my first novel, which was a somewhat autobiographical um, coming of age story that then I revisited when I wrote my memoir, Slow Motion, because I needed to tell that story mm -hmm. um, not as thinly veiled autobiographical <laughs> fiction. But nonetheless, my first novel that was published um, was called Playing With Fire. And in it, there's a narrator named Lucy Greenberg, who's basically Danny Shapiro <laughs> um, in, for, for, this in, for this intents and purposes. And her father is telling her the stories of the Greenberg family history which are actually stories that I learned all from my aunt Shirley. And he is, you know, he's telling them to her as a bedtime story. And one of them has to do with an ancient rabbi recognizing um, him, the, the father, as a young boy when he's trying to do a good deed, a mitzvah. Um, and so he's kind of caught in the act of doing a good deed, which means it's no longer a mitzvah because you're not supposed to be seen doing it. And the, and the little boy, Lucy's father, says to the ancient rabbi, um, how did you know it was me? And the rabbi says, I would know you were a Greenberg anywhere. It's, it's, um, you know, you have the face of a Greenberg. And then Lucy lying there trying to go to sleep thinks that's what I want. I wish that I had the face of a Greenberg and that wherever I would go in my, in my, in my life, people would say, there goes a Greenberg. Now I looked nothing like a Shapiro. Mm -hmm. I looked nothing like my, my, my father's family. And so I was working that out right from the beginning, but in a way that I could not apprehend or touch. I continued to grapple with whatever it was that presented itself for me to grapple with. I was always just trying to inquire um, the next thorny question <laughs> that, you know, and, and nor did I decide to write memoir because that was a good idea or that was hot or that was commercial. It was always just what's the next thing. And so one of the things that I've learned in the last decade or so, because I do understand that I have a brand, 
I mean, I, I, that would be, it would be silly of me not to, but, but, but the thing that I learned about it was, and this goes back to identity is actually a quote from Dolly Parton, which is, I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but it's essentially figure out who you are and then do that on purpose. And that purposefulness, I think has increased over the years for me. Um, And now it just feels 11 books into my writing life. It feels very clear. Okay, well, we've reached the end of the interview portion. I'm excited because we have a lightning round that we do for all of our guests. Um, It's writing edition. We call it lightning round writing edition. So I'm going to give you two words, and then you say the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, couch or desk? Couch. Home or cafe? Home. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Digital or handwritten? Handwritten. Cross out or word vomit? Cross out. Outlining or free writing? Do I have to pick one? Um, (laughs) Free writing. Morning or night? Morning. Music or silence? Silence. That was awesome. Well, thank you so much, Danny, for being here with us. Um, The last portion of our of our interview is to talk about what you're reading right now and then plug whatever you're working on. You have, um, it sounds like you have a lot of irons in the fire and also where people can find you. Great. Um, well, let's see. I'm, I'm, I'm reading so many things right now, <laughs> um, which is unusual for me. I'm reading multiple things. So I'm reading um, In Search of Lost Time, um, Marcel Proust, because my husband and son and I decided that we would, New Year's Day, we decided we would have a little book club. Oh, and so our, our son, who's 23, gives us um, our daily Proust allotment. <laughs> and, and, I've, and I'm discovering, I've read it, I've read it before and I've taught it, but I'm discovering that reading about 10 pages a day um, is just a really like fantastic meditation and could be, could be done with any daunting classic. Um, so highly, highly recommend um, you can read Moby Dick that way. You can read War and Peace that way. Oh, it's, that's it's, so you funny. can read Ulysses that way. And yeah. I think we're going to continue doing that. I love that. Um, I actually worked with an author. Um, I'm a publicist and her um, book was Praying with Jane Eyre. And it was about like a meditation going through the classics and how it informed. She kind of was treating it like her own Bible because she didn't feel so connected to the Bible. So it's cool that you said that. Love that. Um, I'm reading right now. Um an upcoming novel that doesn't come out until the summer. So I don't know if that counts, but it's sure, called Little Monsters. Yes, we love shout outs. Little Monsters by Adrienne Brodeur, um, who's a dear friend of mine. She wrote um, she wrote the memoir Wild Game that came out a couple of years ago. And it's 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 just a sort of sweeping family saga. And I love those kinds of stories. I also really loved recently finished Fellowship Point by Alice Elliott Dark, that is also a um a a, a a family saga beautifully written but also very much about female friendship okay well we'll put all of those in the show notes um and then yeah so what are you working on right now where can people find you social media handles websites etc i'm working on um two things right now um one is the pilot for signal fires the tv very pilot cool. oh my god which is Really, really cool because um, it means that I get to live with my characters longer. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm I'm living with them and 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 having them, uh, you know, move through time in in new and different and exciting ways, and you know, move outside of what's within the pages of the book, but they're but they're still them. Um, so that's really thrilling. Um, and I'm also 
working on um, a director's pass of of monogamy, the the Sue Miller novel for a wonderful director looks very promising that that's going to be a terrific film. Yay. Wow. And, and I'm starting to have that feeling of being ready to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in that period of patience and waiting for the next book to announce itself. Um, and that's always this kind of liminal time, uh, for me as a writer. And then in terms of where to find me, um, my um, uh, my favorite social media is Instagram, where I am at Danny Writer, and um, and I'm also on Facebook um, at at Danny Shapiro and and Twitter at Danny J Shapiro. But and my website is is dannyshapiro.com, which I keep very up to date with um, upcoming events and festivals that I might be going going to, little bits of teaching here and there, and um, it's a good place to find out what's going on. And we're back. It's me and Carolina in studio. Hi, guys. (laughs) Wow, Alyssa, what a powerful conversation. How did it feel to interview a Jewish writer? I was geeking out. I'm not going to lie. I know that's not something you would think you would geek out about, (laughs) but I really was. And the fact that she was a Jewish woman, I think there are so, as I mentioned in in the episode, in the interview, there are so few Jewish female writers who write about the contemporary Jewish experience. I mean, you have so much historical fiction, Holocaust books, of course, um, but, you know, not that many Jewish women writing about the current experience. And as a writer myself, that's something that I wove into my writing as well, even though my protagonist is not Jewish. Um, And it's something that's just so important. I think anti-Semitism is something that is widely un- under-discussed, um, mm-hmm. even even though it is creeping up into the mainstream um, narrative these days. I just think people don't understand, like, the insane history of it. And I just, I just love that, like, Danny was writing for me, it almost felt like. Um, oh. Even though she said that, she's like, I didn't think of this as a Jewish book. And I you know, and I said, you know, even if it wasn't an outwardly Jewish book, there were just some winks and nods to the way I grew up and the way I was raised. And that was just really validating. Yeah. And I think that's something that was really powerful from the conversation is that the storytelling sometimes showcases culture in subtle ways, right? Like mm-hmm. she's a Jewish woman, therefore it's a Jewish book. But we're also multidimensional and multifaceted. And it's so great to see different types of people represented in a community. I really love that little tidbit about the character. I think he was eating either a salami sandwich or a ham sandwich. I don't yeah. remember which mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Um, but I was just thinking of that, right? Like I think that in, in think about that in my culture as well. Like there are so many versions of us. There mm-hmm. are people who are religious. There are people who aren't religious. Mm-hmm. Like in Brazilian culture, I mean, there are so many different racial uh, mixes and backgrounds, and you know, cuisines and all of that. And I think when there aren't enough voices of a certain community, we only get like a one-dimensional representation or one type of story. So I'm really excited to dig into both of her books because I think I'm going to really love it. (laughs) Yeah, I think you will. And and I love what you said about multi-dimension. I think that is so important to combating stereotypes um, in general, regardless of your race and culture. And Judaism is very unique in that it is a religion, but it's also a culture. It really is. And, you know, Jews aren't, don't just look one way and don't, you know, act one way and aren't raised one way and they, you know, don't all have 
black hats and payas and wear yarmulkes. You know, there are Jews who identify in a variety of different ways. There are Jews who eat salami sandwiches. So I really, I really love that. And I think, I hope that Danny felt, you know, in some ways validated or or not validated, but just had a moment where she's like, huh, like I touched somebody in a way I didn't expect to. And I think when she got the National Jewish Book Award, um, when she won that, I think that's kind of was that it sounded to me in the interview that that was the moment she was like, oh, I didn't even think about that, you know, that right. I am, you know, writing a Jewish novel. Um, but no, I I totally geeked out. And um, another <laughs> thing that another thing that I really loved that she said was when we were talking about, you know, memory and, and writing and storytelling. And she said, neurobiologists tell us memories change every time we have them, which is not something. First of all, this our conversation was very like I felt like very deep, very intellectual, mm. very spiritual, um, which is very it makes sense considering her writing is very much like that. And I just she just said a few things that really got me thinking. I was like, huh, I never thought of it that way. I totally feel you. I think for me, it was when she was talking about how memory and imagination, like you can't disentangle memory from imagination or mem- or imagination from memory because they're both so interconnected, both in the craft of writing, like creative nonfiction versus fiction, but also in just how we remember things that happened. Like right. it's like a hall of mirrors. Like we're all kind of contending with not being able to really confirm that something actually happened in our minds the way we think it did. Which is kind of wild to think about. So crazy. I'm obsessed with perspective. I Some of my favorite like movies and books do the thing where it's like the same scene from two different perspectives or multiple perspectives. I just find that so fascinating and like very trippy to think about the fact that like the reality that I see is different than the reality that you see and that like the way we see ourselves is not the way others see us. Um, and I think that she we talked a lot about that in the interview in by way of memoir versus, um, you know, fiction. And I think that like, you know, in memoir, I mean, you could probably speak to this better because you're working on yours. But in memoir, you know, we're we're writing how we see ourselves. And in fiction, we're sort of writing how others see us and how we see others. Um, so it's it's very unique in, in that way. I didn't even think about that in that perspective, but it makes a lot of sense. Um, And something that I also really found really profound was this idea of like the bearers of truth, like the storytellers in our generations. And for me as a memoirist, I feel like I'm always investigating family, and then maybe not family secrets, but family dynamics, stories, and trying to get them from other people's perspectives. Like if I'm writing about my grandmother and something that happened to her, it's like, how does my mom see that? How did my aunt see that? Like what are the differences and the nuances of my grandmother telling that same story to each of them? And how can I like piece the quote unquote truth together from all of these different perspectives? Absolutely. And that's why I brought up Aunt Shirley. Aunt Shirley, um, I rem- I just she really stuck out. I mean, clearly to other readers, too, really mm-hmm. stuck out um, in inheritance. And she was in Danny's earlier memoirs, which I haven't read, but is now are now on my to read list. Um, but I brought her up specifically because I think we all have that one family member who has like, you know, harbors all the stories. Um, I know, obviously, in my you know, both sides of my family, we have those. Um, on my mom's side, it's my uncle because um, my grandfather passed away. And on my dad's side, it's still my grandfather. Um, and I'm trying really hard to just kind of carry that, you know, with me. That's what I'm doing with my novel. And I think— I feel that. Like, that's what I really 
want is for people to feel compelled to ask these questions and and find out who they are. I think our, our society is so lost because people don't know who they are and where they come from. And, you know, technology makes it even harder and more isolating. And I think it's just like an important exercise in self-reflection. That's our episode. Thanks for listening. Books Connect Us is a production of Penguin Random House Media, hosted by me, Alyssa Adler, and Carolina Merkins, produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. For other great podcasts featuring your favorite authors, check out Marlon and Jake Read Dead People, The Taste Podcast, Criminal Types, and others found in our show notes below. To support Books Connect Us, we'd be so grateful if you could subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening and see you next week.